Well, good morning, Five Points Community Church. It is a joy to be with you this morning. If you would turn in your scriptures to the book of 2 John, if you're not familiar where that is, if you flip all the way back uh, to the end, to the book of Revelation, and go about two pages um, backwards, you will find it. Book of 2 John. Not often that we get to preach an entire book of the Bible, but seeing as how it is only 13 verses. Um, hope it is a delight for you this morning. Starting in verse 1 the letter of 2 John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. For everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. But whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and to talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated, and would you join me in prayer together? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for all that we have already done to engage in the worship of your great name this morning. And as we come to the preaching of your word, we know that not a single, uh, single letter, single line, single word in scripture is there by accident. So we thank you for this short book of 2 John and the, the truths that we can find in it. So Lord, I ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. May we be sanctified by it. May we be challenged and may our hearts be turned to worship you in truth and in love. It's in the great name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, in 2009, there was a video posted on YouTube uh, by a man named Penn Gillette, who, if you are unfamiliar with him, he is a world-renowned magician and also an outspoken atheist. But he posted this video, and the title of the video was The Gift of a Bible. And he recounts this occurrence after the end of one of his shows where a man came up and said, thank you for your show, I would like to give you this gift of a Bible. Of course, as this man certainly does not respect Christianity, and yet this is what he said in this video. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's really not worth telling them this because it could make it socially awkward. 
or atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. Tell me, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you truly have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and to not tell them that? If I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that that truck was coming at you, there would come a point where I would tackle you. And this is much more important than that. Although this man, Penn Jillette, continues to be an enemy of Christ and an outspoken atheist, he has hit on something that our culture seems to have lost, which is the truth of truth. Right? We talk about ourselves living in this post-truth culture. And yet the reality of the situation for us is that Oftentimes, the most loving thing to do is to tell somebody the truth. And here we come to the book of 2 John, the second shortest book in the entire Bible, only as we read 13 verses long. And oftentimes, this book is overlooked because of how short it is. But the primary theme of this is exactly what Penn Jillette was getting at, speaking the truth in love. And how both of these aspects, though it's a hard line to walk, must be wedded together in the life of the believer. And we see certain issues in Scripture that have to take long time to deal with, like you think of the book of 1 Corinthians or the book of Galatians, issues that arose in the early church that took pages and pages and lines and lines to deal with. But here we come to an issue in the early church that just took a brief letter a brief letter to help us understand what we as Christians are called to do. A little bit about the context of 2 John. Though the, the letter is anonymous, right? It's called 2 John for a reason. Um, it's understood that this was written by John, the apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, son of Zebedee, uh, the only disciple that history tells us was not martyred, but was, of course, as we know, was exiled to the Isle of Patmos and spent his last years writing the book of Revelation. And John, what's interesting, of course, he wrote one of the Gospels that we have as well, and in his Gospel, he gives himself two nicknames. The first is that John refers to himself and his brother James as the Sons of Thunder, uh, you can think of the, the preacher standing on the side of the road calling down hellfire and brimstone. John and James were quarreling about who of them would sit at the right hand and who would sit at the left hand of Jesus when he returned in his kingdom and uh, basically destroyed his enemies. This is a man who loves the truth. And yet the other nickname that John gives himself in the gospel of John is the disciple who Jesus loved. So here we have the Apostle John, who is marked by these two characteristics. He himself defines himself in his gospel as a son of thunder, but also the disciple who Jesus loved, which is why we see this theme of truth and love coming out in this letter of 2 John. And during the first years of the early church, uh, what would happen, like we see with the Apostle Paul, is evangelists, missionaries, pastors would circulate and travel to different churches uh, around the, the ancient world, and uh, they would come and help strengthen local churches 
and uh, share the gospel and seek to win followers of Christ. And when these teachers would come, they would, of course, have to be housed uh, by, by fellow believers who would care for them and take care of their needs. Unfortunately, not surprisingly, this system in the early church was oftentimes open to abuse, open to false teachers who would come and take advantage of the hospitality of Christians, sometimes be motivated by greed, and would use this hospitality and this welcoming into their homes as an opportunity to spread their false teaching. And so the book of 2 John is written in response to this difficulty of how do we handle this situation when a false teacher has come into the midst of the church? What are we supposed to do? Should we welcome them? Should we uh, welcome them into our homes? What should we do? And thus we have the context of 2 John. Starting in verse 1, if you look at the greeting, the elder to the, to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. So here we have this word, the elder. Uh, again, John is probably an old man at this point in time. Uh, most people, most scholars say that he would have been writing from the church in Ephesus, uh, which Paul had started. And John is writing clearly to some woman that is loved and known by her community. He uses this phrase, the elect lady. And I love this because right off the bat, what is election? Election is God's foreordained love upon this woman that every follower of Christ experiences, knowing that God from before eternity chose to love us in Christ. And so John opens the letter with identifying her of such a term of God's love for her and also for her children. So there's some conflict uh, in, in studying this, this book. Um, scholars disagree about who this uh, this book, is, this letter is actually written to. Some people say this is actually uh, a specific woman. Uh, this is uh, John writing to a woman that he knew, that he leaves unnamed, uh, possibly for the sake of protecting her from persecution or from consequences. Uh, other scholars say that this is, uh, John might be using this term elect lady as a reference metaphorically or symbolically to the entire church. So John is writing a letter to, his church, to a church, and then her children would refer to the members of the congregation. Either of these are possible. Um, from my study, I am going to uh, assume, and it seems uh, most prominent to me, that this is actually a letter to a specific woman. So I'll be moving forward with that assumption and that understanding. Um, but in, in the long run, it doesn't ultimately matter because this is God's word for us, and therefore we can read it and glean benefits from it and truth. So John opens his letter, right, and he says, the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us Forever. John immediately opens this letter with exactly the theme that he is going to be emphasizing throughout the rest of the book, whom I love in truth. This is the overarching commandment of the entire book and what we need to glean from it this morning. Uh, Warren Wearsby, a uh, noted uh, Bible teacher, he used to say, uh, when it comes to love and truth, he used to say, love without truth is hypocrisy, and truth without love is brutality. You cannot have one without the other, because one without the other is not actually anything. So we have to have and hold together these two ideas of truth and love. 
John identifies here uh, that all who love the truth are united. Right? Note again what he says, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. So the truth is central to what we as the body of Christ proclaim. And just as we are united with Christ in his love for us, so we are united in love to all who are united with Christ. And therefore, our love for one another must be also overflowing. As the word of God says, right, Jesus says to his disciples, they shall know you are my followers by your love for one another. And I love what John says here. The truth that will be with us forever. When we get to the end of time, when we stand before the throne of God, what is it that we are going to be proclaiming as the saints of God? It will be the truth of the love of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf and the glory that the the Father has in the gospel. So here we see, we see grace, we see mercy, we see peace that are flowing from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, both in truth and in love. These two aspects, again, cannot be separated from one another. So John continues, verse 4. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just if you would have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So, uh, it seems to be, and, and from a lot of study, people have concluded that uh, this woman, if this letter is actually written to a specific woman, it was likely that she uh, was ministering in a way of being very good at hospitality, welcoming people into her home. And so John is rejoicing that some of these people that have come into her home have been walking in the truth. In other words, he is rejoicing that they have been one to Christ. And this is the basis of this commandment, the basis of this commandment that we are walking in truth is the truth that Christ also revealed to us, that we are to love one another, right? Jesus says, right, we are to love our enemies and we are to pray for those who persecute us, but even so, we are to be marked even more by our love for one another as the body of Christ. He says, this is not a new commandment that I am giving you, But it's the one that we have had from the beginning. It's the one that the basis of everything Jesus Christ taught us should be the foundation of, right? Love God first and love your neighbors. Jesus says this is the summary of the Ten Commandments, which are the summary of the entire law of God, is to love God and love others. And that love for others should first be reflected in our love for one another as the people of God. Unfortunately, if you are active on social media, you are well aware of how easy it is to slander people from the safety of a keyboard, how easy it is to type things, to text things, to email things that you probably wouldn't say in person. I know I'm guilty of this myself, and and how often do difficulties arise that could have been avoided if we were to speak the truth 
in love and that our love would be reflected for one another even when we feel safe behind a screen. It's a good warning for us. John equates this idea of love with obedience to the commandments of God. And this might seem a little strange. Oftentimes we think there's the love, right? There's grace and there's the law. And these two, oftentimes we keep them separated, right? We're saved by grace alone and not by works of the law. But John says that love is obedience to the commandments of God. And why is this? Well, let's consider for a moment, where does the law of God even come from, right? The law of God is revealed by God to us as his people, but it's not as though the law of God is something out there that God has to follow because someone else told him to do it. The law of God is good and loving because it is a perfect reflection of God's character, right? The Ten Commandments are true and perfect because it is exactly how God is. God is perfect love, and therefore all of his commandments and all of his love are reflected in them. God shows us love by giving us these commandments because they restrain us from evil. They point us to our need for a Savior. And ultimately, we know that God, as he reveals this commandment of love, God can only truly be loving if he has always been loving. And we know that God truly has always been loving because of the inter-Trinitarian love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know that God is always loving because he has chosen a people for himself from before the foundations of the world whom he loves with a sacrificial and perfect saving love. Therefore, as we are obedient to the law of love, we reflect both truth and love in our obedience. But of course, we know we cannot do this. We know that we are unable to fully keep the commands of, Jesus, of, of God, and therefore Jesus was sent to do this perfectly on our behalf. In his earthly ministry, we see Jesus who perfectly demonstrated this idea of law to the proud and, and grace to the humble. Jesus himself, he said that his commandment that John here is referencing, he says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. We know, of course, this was not a new commandment in the sense that it had never been there. It was new in that Jesus provided a perfect way for us to love that the old covenant could never demonstrate. And so even though we confess that, and we We need to confess that our obedience does not merit anything in our salvation. But we know on the other side of salvation, we need to walk faithfully in the law of love, in the good works that Christ gave us to do. Ephesians chapter 2, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this great commandment that John is mentioning here, this new commandment that we would love one another and that love is walking according to the commandments of God, we see that the truth and the love, the truth of God's law and the love of God's law, of the obedience to God's law because he has saved us and has given us a new heart so that we can obey the law of God, good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why does John encourage this lady to walk in love? 
And it's because he moves next in verse 7 into this warning. So verse, one th- or verse 4 through 6, we have the rejoicing of John the Apostle. And then we move in verse 7 into the warning. So John has rejoiced that we love. We love one another. But why do we love one another? Why do we have to love one another? Look at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. So now, now John moves away from the rejoicing that some of God, some of the people uh, have, have lived in love, and he now goes into the warning of what we need to be aware of as the people of God. And here he says, many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Christ. Unfortunately, we see, and this is true in just the the letters of Scripture, we see that it did not take long for false teaching to spread just as quickly as the true teaching of the gospel did. Jesus gave his disciples to go and proclaim the gospel to all nations. And likewise, the false teachers took up what we might call the anti-Great Commission of taking their false teaching, their false gospels out into the world just as widespread. The forces of evil have prepared people to go out and to spread the lies just as the gospel spreads the truth. Here John references this idea, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Oftentimes, uh, most scholars uh, would say that what Jesus or what um, John here is referring to is what's called the heresy of Gnosticism, which is one of the biggest uh, false teachings that the early church had to confront at the very beginning. Uh, some of the core tenets of Gnosticism really reveal why John is specifically referring to them here. Uh, so, Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means uh, just knowledge. And Gnosticism was based on this belief that in order to gain salvation, you have to uh, ascend beyond this material realm and into uh, the spiritual realm. They believed that the Bible contained two different gods. There was the God of the Old Testament, the Creator God, who was inferior, who was flawed, and who was, frankly, malevolent. And then we have the God of the New Testament, who was above, who was uh, perfect, who was uh, unknowable, transcendent, uh, totally removed from humanity. And so this idea of this material world being evil and the spiritual world being perfect, any idea of a creator God was seen as complete um, just ridiculousness because God would not create something because the material world is evil. And so the salvation that is achieved according to Gnosticism, uh, that is achieved by those who would ascend out of the physical realm and into the spiritual realm, here we see that they then um, took the, the gospel message and say that Jesus was a spiritual being who only thought, or people only thought he had a physical body, but he truly didn't. He imparted this secret wisdom to his disciples, and he never truly walked in the flesh. They thought he did, 
But truly, he didn't. And again, they say this, the Gnostics said this because the material world was considered evil and broken. And so here we have this Gnostic heresy that John is talking about, those who do not confess that uh, confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. It's pretty evident why Gnosticism was such a threat to the true apostolic gospel. Because if Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh, we have no hope. We have no sacrificial lamb. We have no death on the cross. We have no burial and no bodily resurrection. We have no salvation if Jesus Christ did not truly come in the flesh. And John equates them interesting and at the end of verse 7 such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist the danger of this false teaching and though he's dealing with this he's speaking of all types of false teaching the danger of false teaching is that it's a veiled truth right they come proclaiming and saying we are the ones representing god but it's it's not true They come and they say, we are the ones with the truth, and yet they only bring falsehood. And John equates them with the deceiver and the antichrist. So some theological traditions, right, you think of the word antichrist, um, what might come to mind is this doctrine of the end times uh, where the Bible talks about this individual, an antichrist, who will rise up and uh, uh, wage war against the people of God. But John elsewhere, when he talks about the Antichrist, he actually says that there are many Antichrists. In 1 John chapter 2, it's, uh, John writes, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have already come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour, for they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. John says in his first letter that those who are dwelling in the spirit of the Antichrist, those who are against Jesus Christ, are in our own midst at this time within the early church. It's interesting, too, if you fast forward to the the era of the Reformation, and you look at the creeds and confessions that were produced at that time, uh, each one of them, each one of these confessions during the Reformation period called one specific person the Antichrist. And they all refer to the Pope of Rome as the Antichrist, as someone who was sitting in the seat of Jesus and yet was proclaiming a false gospel. And so believers, we need to be on watch for any who would come in who would preach a false gospel gospel other than that which we have received directly from God. For John equates them, again, with the deceiver. And who receives the title the first time, who receives the title of deceiver in Scripture is none other than Satan himself. This idea of the Antichrist being completely opposed to Jesus. And these false gospels are not good news, right? The word gospel itself means good news, and you can't have false good news. And here as John is talking about Gnosticism, Gnosticism was not good news. It was a false gospel because like the vast array of religions around the world or other faith movements, Gnosticism said that it was up to you 
to earn your way, to gain enough spiritual knowledge, to be enlightened enough, whatever you want to call it, it was up to you to reach the highest phase of your potential. It was up to you to get salvation. It was up to you to free yourself from the material world. Brothers and sisters, we know that is what every other faith tradition, every other religion of the world tells us, is that it is up to you. But this, of course, is the good news, is that it is not up to us. It is up to the one who has already come and saved us from our sins. And we see here, too, we must note this, is, is that John is not primarily dealing with teachers of other false religions, other religions of the world. He is, again, dealing with people who have made their way into the church and are calling themselves Christians, calling themselves pastors, calling themselves evangelists, and are still giving a false teaching. John, again, in 1 John He says, they went out from us because they were not of us. Because if they were of us, they would not have gone out from us. John exposes the fact that false teachers simply are not of the fold of God. They are not true believers. Because, again, keeping this in mind, the the overarching theme of 2 John, because if you are a true believer, you will walk in truth and love. True believers must walk in truth and love. So those who come intentionally trying to deceive others simply cannot be true believers, and thus they are exposed for what they truly are. Let me give you two examples. Um, You may know someone, maybe you are sitting here today, and and there's a movement growing right now around, uh, especially in the evangelical Christian world called deconstruction. This idea of you Take what you don't like from the Bible, you throw it away, you set it aside, you kind of mold Christianity to whatever you want it to be. And it's this idea of stripping away what you think you've been taught and seeing if you can find the truth of what God and who God really is. A lot of people in my generation and the generations younger than me are engaging in this movement of deconstruction. And two examples. Uh, Both of these examples are from young women Uh, in their early 30s, who both wrote books in the past few years dealing with this issue of leaving behind what they thought they always knew. The first one, her name is Megan Phelps Roper. She wrote a book in 2019 called Unfollow, a memoir of loving and leaving the Westboro Baptist Church. You may have heard of the Westboro Baptist Church uh, in Topeka, Kansas, well-known for um, picketing soldiers' funerals and ha- holding up signs that say um, just the most atrocious things. Uh, it's a hyper-Calvinist uh, family, really, a church uh, that just spews hatred and a lot of truthiness with absolutely no grace. Megan, as she began to realize and began to interact with the wider world and realize that um, her family had come to be uh, called the most hated family in America, she began to read the works of other philosophies, other world religions, and especially became interested in atheism. And so she began to read the books of Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, some of those, those well-known atheists. And she was interviewed in 2019 after uh, basically removing herself from her family after writing this book, and the, the, the interviewer asked her and said, do you even call yourself a Christian anymore? 
This is what she said. She said, it just became a completely different way of seeing the world to look at the Bible critically and say, you know, is this actually a divine document? Is this truly the word of God? And the more I looked at it, the more I thought, you know, I don't think this is the word of God. I think that this is just the words of human beings trying to understand God and how to live and how to find our place in the universe. So she had been exposed to what she thought was the true word of God her whole life that was filled with uh, really hatred and injustice and, uh, and, and bigotry. And she was, came to the conclusion that the word of God simply is humans trying to understand what God is. On the flip side of that, we have uh, Ginger Duggar Volo. Uh, you may recognize that, that second name, Duggar. Uh, one of the oldest daughters of the Duggar family. Um, you may have seen the documentary last year that came out, Shiny Happy People, about the interactions of their family with the Institute of Biblical Life Principles um, and the false teachings of Bill Gothard. She wrote a book last year, 2023, called Becoming Free Indeed, My Story of Disentangling Faith from Fear. When she was in the midst of, of her family and she was being trained by Bill Gothard and his teachings, uh, she ended up dating a young man from a very solid Christian home who said, let's just compare what you are being taught by Bill Gothard to the Word of God. And let's, let's just see, is what you are being taught the truth? And as they compared and they held fast to the Word of God, Ginger, uh, in her book, she, she, this is what she ended up writing. In the end... That's all that disentanglement is. It's trusting God and taking the next steps in the right direction. And as you untangle the lies from the truth, Christ will be there with you, keeping you by his side until he calls you home. So we have one example of a young woman who grew up in a very public, very difficult family who took the word of God and said, I simply don't believe this anymore. I don't believe this can be possibly true. And you have another young woman, very similar situation, very public family, lots of um, you know, controversy about her family. And she took what she had been taught her entire life and compared it to the steadfast word of God. This is the difference between deconstruction and what we might just call sanctification. I think Ginger nailed it when she called it's just disentanglement, disentangling the lies that we have been taught from the truth. My friends, if you are if you're in this room right now, maybe you are thinking about this idea of deconstructing. Maybe you have been questioning whether or not the Word of God is true. Let me remind you that God is not afraid of questions. You can ask the Word of God. You can ask God through prayer and through studying His Word, and your souls will be satisfied in what you find. This is the truth that John offers as well to his people. Look at verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Because like Ginger and like Megan, like these two young women, we have to also be aware of what we are consuming. And in our age of media, the amount of access that we have to anything we want 
Right? If you have a smartphone in your pocket, you have more knowledge than any of us could consume in a thousand lifetimes right in your pocket. And so we must be on guard from false teachings. The sermons we listen to, the books we read, the podcasts, the videos, the articles we read, we need to compare them constantly to the Word of God. This is also why we need to be faithful members in a solid, biblical, local church. This is why we submit ourselves to the leadership of qualified elders, is because we are not to be lone ranger Christians. We need each other to help keep each other on the right path. We need the gifts of the body of Christ to encourage and to Uh, push each other on as we look towards the goal. What does John say? So that we do not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Of course, when John specifically says we do not lose what we have worked for, he's not, we know, he's not referring to losing your salvation. He is speaking of losing the good testimony before a watching world that we would be giving in to false teaching. But there's also the warnings in Scripture of being a false professor. We know, like John had said in 1 John, that there are people who go out from us because they were never truly of us. Jesus himself says this in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. John encourages us. He encourages the church to watch ourselves to make sure we are not losing all that we have worked for, that we may not lose the good testimony of our faith in Jesus Christ, and also that you may not be found out as a false professor, right? The Bible warns us to make our election and calling sure, and we do that as the corporate body of Christ. Look at verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. For whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Again, there's this idea that those who depart from the truth, those who depart from the true teaching of Christ cannot have God because you cannot have God without having Christ and you cannot have Christ without having God We oftentimes speak of this idea of abiding in Christ or abiding in God. Here, John tells us that we are also to abide in the teaching, to abide in the teaching of the gospel that we find in the infallible and inerrant word of God. We also need to be reminded that just because somebody disagrees with you on some point of doctrine does not make them a false teacher. Right? We need to be able to distinguish between what is a gospel issue and what is not. There are brothers and sisters all over the world that differ with you and with I on various points of doctrine. But that does not mean they are false teachers. A false teacher is one who uh, diminishes the core essentials of the gospel 
and who would point you to a different salvation other than that which we have been given. And John tells them, he tells this lady that he's writing to, do not receive him, do not give him greeting. And again, uh, we need to specify here, this doesn't mean that if the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses show up at your door, that you have to just close your doors, um, do what I used to do as a kid and like duck under the couch and hide and um, pretend I wasn't home. We are welcome to invite them into our homes, of course, and to um, have that opportunity to share the truth with them. But when John says, do not receive him or give him greeting, this is specifically in the context of greeting them. Uh, the, the word that John uses here is this idea of greeting them with joy and gladness, sort of like, oh, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you have finally arrived in order to tell us what you have to share with us. And the warning of John is that he even says that those who do so, takes part, they take part in his wicked works. So just as those who are false teachers, John equates them with the deceiver and the, the spirit of Antichrist, so too are any who give platform to false teachers and to false gospels, any who uh, give opportunity for the spreading of false teaching and false gospels. The most loving thing to do, again, as we circle back and as we move towards our conclusion, the most loving thing to do to a false teacher is to expose their lies and to point them to the truth. Likewise, the most important thing to do for someone who is lost, someone who is enslaved to false teaching, is to love them enough to tell them the truth of the gospel. So just as false teachers are united in their wickedness, we need to be aware. We need to be on guard. We need to be watching ourselves that we do not give platform to those who would come and preach a false gospel. This is a deep warning, brothers and sisters. And yet John does not end the book there. Thankfully, he ends his letter as he's focused on love, moved into this section about the necessity of being on guard for the truth, he concludes in 12 and 13 with this great notion again of love. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. So although John clearly had more to say to this woman, he applies his teachings by demonstrating the deep love and pastoral care he has for her. He says, I could say so much more to you, but I would just rather come and see you face to face. He demonstrates that he understands what it means to love someone and to care for their souls. There's also a good side note for us when we consider how we interact with people. Um, again, living in this age of social media, Sometimes it's just better to talk face-to-face, -face, especially when uh, you are in a disagreement with someone. It is always better to just meet face-to-face -face. because our joy is complete when we delight in the fellowship of Christian love and Christian truth. So brothers and sisters, we glorify Christ two ways. First, when we, we walk in truth by displaying the love of God. The truth of the gospel will lead us to display the love of God to a world that is watching us. 
And likewise, we display the love of God by safeguarding and holding fast to the truth. We love our God and we show this world we love our God when we choose to not compromise but hold fast to the truth of the word of God that he has given us. Not only to the early church, not only to the church of the past, but the church of today, the church of the future. We have one foundation. We just sang the song, How Firm a Foundation. That firm foundation is the gospel as recorded for us in the perfect word of God. Let us conclude by hearing the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. For he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working together, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this short letter of Second John. We thank you for the joy that we see in John's writing and also the warnings that he gives us that we would delight in the truth, that we would walk in the love, and that we would hold those two things together perfectly. And we look to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, as the only one who ever perfectly, on our behalf, walked in perfect truth and in perfect love. So as he is the foundation, the cornerstone of our faith, may you grant us the ability to reflect our Savior as we walk in those good works that you have prepared beforehand for us that we might walk in them. And Father, if these words fall on any ears today that reject the truth or do not know the love of Christ, May today be the day of salvation for them. May today be the day when the love of Christ and the truth of their need for a Savior penetrate their heart. May they turn to Jesus Christ, who is the perfect embodiment of truth and love. So, Father, we thank you for these things. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your people. And it is in the great name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.